and welcome everyone. And uh, whatever campus you are uh, joining in and worshiping at today, we're so glad that you are here. Hey, let me ask you a question. When Christians talk about this peace on earth and goodwill toward all people that, you know, we kind of hear about at Christmas time, it's really the message of the angel that spoke to the shepherds on the hillside. Aren't Christians just being escapist when we talk about that? I mean, aren't those just pious platitudes that we like to share around Christmas time to make ourselves feel better? Because after all, isn't the world in a chaotic mess right now? Isn't there injustice and cruelty and mean-spirited people? Isn't there a lot of fighting and bickering going on. We live in a very violent world. So how can we talk about peace on earth in a world that is filled with such chaos? When the angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests, isn't that a mere sentimental hope? Come on, wishful thinking at best, right? Well, one thing's for sure, the world into which Jesus was born was very violent. Rome ruled with an iron fist. And as long as you kept your head down and did what you were told, you might be okay. But if you dared to challenge, uh, Rome would get you in line pretty fast. You were crushed, usually, under the heel of Roman supremacy. And 2,000 years later, we still live in a very violent world. I read one article this week from the New York Times in which the author Chris Hedges said that out of the last 3,400 years of history, 3,400 recorded years of history, Hedges says only 268 of those years have been peaceful. All the other years, well over 3,000 out of the last 3,400 have been marked by atrocious wars. In another article I consulted on Tuesday called The Planet's History of Violence, Mark Malloy says there have been 12,703 battles where we know the exact location and date. And statisticians try to estimate the number of deaths directly related to war, and many say it's well over 3 billion throughout history. In fact, in the 20th century alone, there have been 108 million deaths directly related to war in the 20th century alone. And today, as we speak, there are currently over 40 wars going on around the world. Now, many of those are border skirmishes between tribes. Uh, some of them are civil wars within a country. Others of them involve guerrilla warfare where there's really no borders there. They're just fighting each other in a guerrilla-type fashion. But as we speak today, it's kind of staggering to me to think that there are over 40 wars going on around our world. Why so much unrest and distress? Is it because nobody cares? 
Is it because nobody on the planet wants peace after all? I think not. I think for many of us, and many of us gathered here today, we yearn for peace. It's a deep desire of our heart. Perhaps you've prayed for it over and over again. And there are all kinds of theories for why, although many people desire peace, it never seems to come. In one seminary class I took, an ethics class, Dr. Glenn Stassen, who was kind of an expert on this whole subject of peace, he'd written books on peacemaking and so forth. We spent weeks in that class, weeks, discussing different theories about what different groups of people believe will bring peace. Let me mention just a few. Leon Trotsky, for instance, who was an early Russian Marxist and the first leader of the Red Army, said that a world communist revolution would lead to world peace. If we could just have a communist revolution all over the world and every country could embrace this Marxist communist philosophy, we'd be at peace. But after a 70-year experiment, that hope died a dismal death in the 1980s and it left behind a legacy of multiplied millions who had been executed by those authorities where they would not stand with the state. Another theory is that democracy is the key. Now, I assume that, like me, you love democracy. I certainly do. I love the freedoms that it brings us, and I love this democratic republic in which we have the privilege of living, the United States of America. Some years ago, George W. Bush, at the start of the Iraq War, said, and I quote, the march of democracy will lead to world peace. And some believe it will. In fact, it's often noted in history classes and classes on war and peacemaking that no two democracies have ever gone to war with each other, or so it's said. Now, I love our government. I love the fact that we have the freedom to vote and all these freedoms, but I in no way believe that democracy is the magical key to world peace. Some people believe that increasing globalization will lead to global peace for all. And so they encourage alliances. They encourage joining together in these unions, in multi-state and multi-country unions, kind of like the European Union. And that's had its go, and it had its upsides and downsides, but currently the European Union is in horrible disarray at the moment. Many would say it's done completely. But many believe that these global alliances, if we could just foster them and encourage them, would bring about a global world peace. And so many jump on that bandwagon working toward that goal. Other people, though, have a radically different philosophy about peace. They believe that more of a pacifistic mentality would bring the peace that we need. And so they might encourage things like disarmament. If we could destroy our weapons of mass destruction, then it would usher in the peace that we seek. If there's no weapons to fight with, how can we be at war, they will often say. 
Others push back strongly and go, no, it's only through strength that we can have peace. We need not to disarm. We need to arm ourselves in the very presence of weapons and the knowledge of the devastation they can bring will actually avert war. And so the argument goes on and on and on. We could spend hours discussing the various philosophies of what many groups believe will bring peace to earth. But here's my question. Here's my question today. How does the birth of Jesus Christ that we celebrate in just a few days, how does it speak to this discussion about peace. Jesus made a very interesting statement. It's recorded in John chapter 14 when he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, whatever you make of that statement, one thing I'm encouraged and comforted by is that it's pretty clear there that Jesus doesn't want people to live in fear. He doesn't want our lives to be driven by this chaotic fear. He wants us instead to live peaceful lives. But he said, beware, it's going to be different. It's not going to be like you might think in the world. I think he's saying it's an internal thing that I'm talking about. It's going to be in your soul. It's going to be in what the Bible calls the heart. That's the peace Jesus talked about. Because the diagnosis of the Bible is that the biggest problem we have in our world today is not just all the chaos out there, it's the chaos in here. As the writer called James puts it in the Bible, he asks this question in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he quickly answers his own question. Is it not your desires, he says, that battle within you? It's as though James is saying, look, you want to know what's wrong with the world? You want to know why we don't seem to be able to reach a world peace? It's because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It's almost as though Jesus elaborated on that subject when Jesus said, as recorded in Mark chapter 7, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, Listen to the words of Jesus. All these things, evil things, proceed from within and defile the man. So how do we make the world right? Jesus said it begins by making your heart right. It begins by dealing with the person first. Not against political remedies, not against fixing structures and seeing appropriate reforms and all that and treaties and all those things that might follow. But Jesus said it all begins with the heart. That's the thing we need a solution for. I want to tell you today, whoever you are, the biggest problem you will ever face in this life is you. The biggest problem I will ever grapple with in my life, trust me on this, is me. It's not some external enemy. 
I'm my own worst enemy. The problem is in here. And so Jesus creates this contrast here in what he said. He said, on the one hand, out there, you've got all these structures, organizations, peace treaties, armies, whatever else people might think would bring world peace. But he said, I'm not even talking about that right now. That may, that may need to get addressed. It will, trust me, in time. But I'm talking to you about the peace that I'm giving you. Don't let your heart be troubled. He spoke about this again as recorded in John 16. This is all a part of the same conversation, by the way, what's called the upper room discourse just before he was arrested and went to the cross. He said in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Were there ever truer words than that? I mean, history testifies to the profound truth of Jesus' statement. Just read the newspapers, look online, listen to the television. It will tell you every day this world is a place where you're going to have trouble. The world's going to bring you trouble, Jesus said. I'm looking to bring you peace. What a contrast. So don't let your heart be troubled. So I'm going to go back to my question. How does the birth of Jesus that we celebrate in just a few days from now, how does it affect this whole discussion of peace on earth? So with that as a foundation, I want to very quickly talk to you now in these few minutes we have about two different kinds of peace, and they're both dealt with in Scripture. And both of them are crucial if we're going to experience the fullness now, the fullness of what the angel promised to those shepherds. Peace on earth, goodwill to people on whom his favor rests. The first kind of peace I want to talk you, with you about is peace with God. That's what the Bible calls it. For instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. There's the phrase. If you mark in your Bible, if you highlight things, you might want to highlight that. Peace with God. That's the phrase. And we have it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that statement presupposes something. It presupposes that before we found this peace with God, we were not at peace with God. If you're on a spiritual journey, if you're seeking for peace today, if you're window shopping Christianity, it's critical that you understand this basic message. Scripture teaches that we were created by a loving Heavenly Father who wants a relationship with us, but a problem came in. Beginning from the very first humans, Scripture teaches, there was a breaking of that relationship as sin entered into the human race and we chose to disobey God. And every human has made that choice to not live up to the light they have, to literally go against their conscience, go against the revelation they have of right and wrong. Every human has chosen that ever since the first humans that walked the earth. 
And that puts us all in a mess. It puts us in a quandary. We're not only alienated from God because we've broken his laws and gotten out of fellowship, but we're alienated from ourselves to a degree. We're alienated certainly from our fellow human beings. And the chaos we experience in the world is simply a reflection of that innate brokenness that came through sin. And so every thinking person walks around in their life asking, who am I? Oh, they may never voice it audibly, but they wonder, who am I really? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Am I just a lonely mass of atoms that has come together by some cosmic fluke? And it's created in me this thing called consciousness and this sense of existence, but I don't really have a clue why. Is that who I am? And Scripture gives a resounding answer to questions like that. It says, God created you for a purpose. You are not a cosmic accident. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants a relationship with you. But that's where the problem comes. That relationship with God has been broken by sin. And my sin has separated me from a holy God, but the good news is that God loves you and me and, as I say, wants to restore the relationship. Can I tell you, that's what Christmas is really all about. The reason true followers of Jesus get so pumped up and get beyond just all the commercialism of, of Christmas and all that because they know the core meaning of it all. They know that God came to earth on a rescue mission and they know something else about this, that Christmas led to a cross. And so I want to be sure you understand this today if you may be one of so many people who just kind of go to church around Christmas time, whether they need it or not, you know what I'm saying? There are many people like that who just kind of show up around the holidays because it's just a tradition. Maybe their parents did it. Maybe they, maybe they grew up doing that. And so I would urge you not to just give a cordial nod to Christmas. And then forget about it completely. Here's the reason I urge you not to just dismiss it. Because Christmas led to a cross. You can never fully understand the reason and the meaning behind this season unless you understand the cross. What God came to do ultimately culminated at the cross in the empty tomb. What I'm saying to you today is that Christmas and God invading this planet through Christ our Lord was a rescue mission because we needed to be rescued. We needed to be saved. We didn't just need a consultant. If you're a consultant, God bless you. I've done a good bit of that myself. But we just didn't need more advice about how to live morally. We actually needed saving. And we didn't just need a teacher, by the way. Oh, I love to teach, and I respect and honor all of you who are teachers, whatever, wherever you teach. I know you are men and women of character, 
and you take your responsibility very seriously. God bless you. But we didn't just need another teacher. There was tons of good teaching around. Jesus came because we needed saving. And we didn't just need a motivator. Oh, if you're like me, there's some days I could use some motivating. Could you? I don't even want to get up some days. It's pretty rare, but occasionally it happens. And there are times and moments and seasons in my life when I could use some good motivation, but that's not the point of Jesus coming. I want to say it again. Jesus came because we needed saving. And there's an interesting word in that verse we read just a few moments ago. It's the word justified. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Where does that peace come from? It says it comes from being justified. Justified. It's a legal term. Let me try to explain it through this illustration. True story I hear about a man who loved his Rolls Royce car, one of the greatest vehicles made. And he was from England, but he had his car taken over to the mainland of Europe where he was going to spend quite a bit of time on holiday there, driving all around to different countries. But as he was enjoying his holiday, his car developed a problem. The engine had a problem, so he called back to the headquarters in England, explained the problem. They said, we'll send someone right over. They flew, mind you, flew a mechanic over right away to fix the problem, fix the car, spent the night, flew back the next day to England. And the man went on, went on his way, enjoying his holiday. But he couldn't get out of his mind, wow, how much is this going to cost me? I mean, my goodness, I appreciate the service. Rolls-Royce is a proud company, I know, and they, they got right on this. But wow, to fly a mechanic over, to put him up overnight, to pay all these expenses, to fly him back, this is going to cost me a fortune. When he got back home, he checked into it. He decided he would actually write a rather formal letter asking what he owed, and so on and so forth. And in due time, he got back this reply. The reply said, dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls-Royce. That's what it means to be justified. It means in the record books of heaven, there is no record anywhere in your files that anything ever went wrong with you. Your record, if you're in Christ Jesus, justified is sparkling clean. Why? How can that be? Because God took all of your bad stuff and he took it from your record and he put it on his record and he bore it on himself at the cross. You know that's what scripture teaches. He took all of my sin, all my breakdowns, all of my failures, all of my moral mess-ups, and he took them on himself at the cross. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Paul puts it this way in Colossians 
He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is peace with God. Now, let me just ask you, before we quickly move on, do you have that kind of peace with God? Have you been reconciled to God, and do you know that you're reconciled? That, my friends, is the most important issue in the world to deal with. It's not just important when you know you're on your deathbed and somebody comes along in a grave tone and says, have you made your peace with God? Make peace with God now. It's not something you want to save for some foxhole, some dire emergency, some deathbed. It's when we have peace with God that we know we can live with confidence. But for just a couple of moments, I want to talk now about that second kind of peace because they really are made to go together. We talked about peace with God, but for just a couple of minutes, I want to talk with you about the peace of God. The peace of God. The Bible uses that phrase often. Now let me ask you before we dive in, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you describe your peace personal peace in your life. One being, I am constantly terrorized and afraid, no peace. Number 10 would, would mean complete tranquility and ease. I have no lack of peace at all. I'm completely peaceful. Where would you put yourself on a scale of one to 10, honestly, in your day-by-day -day experience? I believe God desires that when we have this peace with God, that it would naturally be parlayed into the peace of God in our lives. Colossians 3.15 puts it like this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means that no matter what you're going through, when you know you have peace with God, the peace of of God can reign over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus because you know that whatever you're going through, God's working in it for your good and his glory. You say, but pastor, how can you possibly talk so blithely about peace like this when there's so many people right now going through hard things? And you're absolutely right. I know families in our church who have family members who've been diagnosed with terminal diseases and unless God intervenes miraculously, there's no cure. I know families right now who have family members who are deeply depressed and even suicidal. And they're horribly concerned for their future and what's going to happen. I know families right now that are so broken and alienated that they have family members who will not speak to one another, haven't spoken for years, and there's something about the holidays that just accentuate and even exacerbate that reality, and so it's so painful. I know families in our church, dozens of families, who have family members who are struggling with horrible addictions. And they wonder, will they ever be free from this bondage? The claws of this addiction that are sunk deep into their soul. 
Some of us are really hurting this season because maybe you've lost a loved one and this is going to be the first season without that dear one there. And boy, that house feels awfully lonely and there's an empty seat at the table. Of course, there's a lot of pain. But Jesus invited people and he invites us today to yoke up with him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The picture there, we don't, because we're not an agrarian farming society much anymore, at least in this part of the world, there are tons of people who still farm, of course, all around the world. But the picture there is this yoke was usually made of wood. It had some pieces of leather attached to it often. And it was made in such a way that you could put a very strong ox and a weak ox together and you could actually adjust the yoke so that most of the load was borne by the strong ox. I think that's the picture here. Jesus says, yoke up with me. It doesn't mean that all your life struggles will disappear. But it means that as you're yoked up with him, he will bear the load that you could not bear on your own. And he will bring amazing peace, even through some of life's most troubling situations. One other scripture is Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, there it is again, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't figure it out. It has a touch of the miraculous to it, to be quite honest. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there it is. Peace with God and the peace of God of God ruling and reigning in your heart. Now let me ask you as we close. Do you have peace with God and do you know it? This is the time to settle that with God. This is the time if you are not confident that you have ever yielded your life to Christ and said, please forgive me for hijacking my own life and going my own way and doing my own thing and ignoring you and pushing you out of my life, however that's happened with you, now is the moment to confess that to God and say, I want to be reconciled, brought back into relationship with you. And if you're struggling in one way or another with a lack of peace today, I say in this moment, it's a perfect moment to say to God, Lord, would you help me to learn how to yoke up with you? Because I have taken so much on myself, it seems, and not allowed you to pull this burden with me and bear this burden. Now is the time to seek the peace of God. May we pray? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed at all of our locations. I wanna ask you right now, if you are uncertain whether you really have that peace with God. And you just like to say, Pastor Rex, I'd love for you to pray for me right now. Just as I sit here in this seat, I, I just want to ask you if you could say a prayer for myself or any others that 
maybe lack that peace with God. Would you slip your hand up wherever you are? Thank you for that. Oh, several hands. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty. That's what I love about this congregation. There's just so much openness and honesty. Any others before we pray? Any other? Yes, thank you over there. Thanks so much. Let's pray. Father, I pray that for those who lack that confidence, that they have that peace with you, that justification that Scripture talks about, I pray that right now would be that moment where you would help them by faith, by faith, to trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of their sins, that you would adopt them into their family and begin to change them from the inside out. And if that's you, if you raise your hand today, would you just right now in the quietness of your own heart, would you say, Lord Jesus, please save me? Just say that to God right now. Please make me new. Forgive my sin and adopt me into your family. Come and live inside of me, God, by your spirit. Father, I thank you for those that you have born into your family today. And I ask that you would seal them, save them, keep them safe as they walk with you. And Father, for all of those who are seeking the peace of God for whatever their situation, may this be a moment, a moment of enormous transformation. We would learn to yoke up with you and let you pull the load in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.